Good to see you tonight. Trust you're having a good week. We are in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 tonight. We want to look at the first five verses there. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. Uh, latter times apostasy. I think we're there. I think this has direct application to where we, we live in these days. And uh, so let me uh, begin with a, a word of prayer here this evening here. Lord, again, we do thank you for the privilege to assemble in Jesus' name. Thank you for the saints. And uh, Lord, the, the part that we have to play in your grand uh, plan of redemption, salvation, uh, as far as what's going on in the world today. And uh, Lord, you want to use us. Uh, Lord, it's all, all glory to you, but you use people. And Lord, as we study in our text tonight, we see that the devil also has his people and uh, has his demons. Has, they work through people. And so, uh, Lord, there's this great spiritual warfare going on. We need to be aware of it. Pray that you would help us to grow in grace as we study uh, our text tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, well, uh, as you note there uh, on the overhead, as far as uh, our outline, uh, church order is the theme of 1 Timothy. We worked our way down to chapter 4, instructions regarding sound doctrine and exemplary walk. So um, as we think about what we've covered in chapter, uh, chapters 1 through 3, we, we remember that the church here is about 10 years old at this point. So it's been around for a little while. It has elders in place, but there's some concern about some of the teaching that's going on uh, on the scene there. And so Paul sees a need for the work to be strengthened, the church to be strengthened in terms of what's happening there at Ephesus. He had invested a major amount of time, three years on his third missionary journey at Ephesus, more time than any place else. So he's made a major investment in this uh, particular local church. So I say the theme, uh, the overall theme of the book is church order, how, how the church ought to carry on, how it ought to behave itself. Uh, God has specific instructions in terms of how he wants to, us to carry on. You say, well, I just kind of want to do my own thing. Well, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> That's not what the church should be about. Uh, we are to follow uh, what God has instructed as far as how we are to carry on and in that way bring glory to him. Chapter 1, he really emphasized uh, those that... Uh, well, let me flip back there. In chapter 1, verse 7, he talks about those desiring to be teachers of the law. That gives us a clue that we're talking about legalism. Uh, legalists always want to put you under man-made rules, man-made law. Uh, that's what legalists do. It's not what God has said, but these all these extra things. And so some desire to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. So, so they, they act like they're all the teachers. You know, they put themselves up as teachers, but they don't really know the truth. They don't really know what they're teaching. And so that needs to be corrected according to the glorious gospel, as he goes on to say, chapter 1. Chapter 2, real emphasis on the proper role of men and women in the church. Uh, chapter 3, need to have qualified elders and deacons. And then he rounds out the chapter uh, with this <coughs> emphasis, key, key verse in the book. First uh, Timothy 3.15, if I'm delayed, he hopes to show up there, you know, have some personal touch here, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself, behave yourself in the house of God. Context of the, and we are the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar, the support and ground, foundation of the truth. So we are the, we are the platform uh, that God has entrusted the truth to as, as the church. 
And uh, then he goes on to say at the very end of that chapter, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And then he presents the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ, uh, godliness is God-likeness. Of course, Jesus was God in human flesh. He presented God to us, God-likeness to us in a perfect way. But this is, this is a standard of truth that the church is to stand for. The truth is found in Jesus Christ. Godliness is found in Jesus Christ. And there's really two major emphasis in the scriptures. We have sound doctrine, uh, which we need to hold to, but also correct living, orthopraxy. Orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthopraxy is, is right living, uh, practice. And so both of those are essential. Well, in contrast to these, uh, the emphasis that he's made in terms of godliness, we, we have uh, those in the last days that will be promoting apostasy. Apostasy is a departure from the truth. We are the pillar and ground of the truth, the true church, but then you have apostates who want to get us off track, who want to lead us astray. And that's where he goes in chapter 4. That's what we're looking at uh, tonight. So uh, just a few things to note here. Uh, the underlying issue in view is this. What is the source of true godliness? Is legalism the secret to true godliness, or is it the truth as found in Jesus Christ? Well, of course, as we've already abundantly noted, it is found in Jesus alone. So he, he is our, <clears throat> our ultimate example, our model. Uh, everything we need is found in Jesus Christ. And so uh, that emphasis is brought out. Note the emphasis on godliness throughout here. Chapter 3, uh, verse 16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Uh, chapter 4, verse 7, reject profane and old wives' fables. Exercise yourself toward godliness. Uh, verse 8, bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. And so a real emphasis on, on godliness, and that's not quite the end of it. First. Uh, Timothy 6, if anyone teaches otherwise, do not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Got a problem with Jesus, these people do. And to the doctrine which accords with godliness. And of course, godliness lines up with the truth of Jesus Christ, as we saw at the end of chapter 3. Uh, 6, 5, useless wranglings of men, corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Oh, you know what? This is the prosperity gospel way back here in the early church. Uh, verse 6, now, godliness with contentment is great gain. 6.11, you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Again, all the way through here, a major, major, major theme here in terms of how the church ought to conduct itself. Really, you could summarize it in saying, according to godliness, according to godlikeness as exemplified in the person of Jesus Christ. That's really a major theme in the book of First Timothy. Well, uh, in contrast to that godliness theme, you've got apostates who are not godly. They're godless in, in, in the terms of how they carry on, things they teach, how they live. And so let's uh, read verse 1. Who wants to read verse 1? Chapter 4, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Who wants to read that for us? Yeah, John, I see your hand back there. <clears throat> yeah, 4-1. Okay, Spirit tells us this. We need to know this. Uh, I think we are really living in the last... The whole of the church age is called the last days, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. 
we live in that, that end period right before the coming of the Lord and then that final 70th week of Daniel that will usher in the second coming. We live right at the end in that sense. But uh, I believe as, as we go along, as Paul will say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, in the latter days, the imposters will become worse and worse. Uh, this is the trend in the church age, uh, worse and worse, uh, deceiving and being deceived. This, and this goes along with that. Uh, when it says, now the Spirit expresses, says, the idea here is perhaps better, but, it could be translated but, maybe your translation is translated that way, but the Spirit expressly says, in contrast to godliness, which is what the church is to exemplify, is found in the person of Christ, uh, in contrast to that, the Spirit expressly says, in the latter times, I'm going to depart from the faith. Uh, this is a message from God, from the Spirit. Expressly means explicitly or clearly. You don't have to wonder about this. This is what's going to define uh, the latter days, the latter times. Uh, the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. Praise the Lord, we have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. Uh, the Bible is the Word of truth, and the Spirit of truth and the Word of truth uh, work together. And uh, just in terms of, I like to bring this out. <clears throat> I bring this out with new Christians all the time. Old Christians need to know it too. <laughs> Everybody. Uh, Jesus, right the night before he was crucified, he's talking to his disciples, the apostles. I still have many things to say to you. How's that? Class is not finished. Right? You guys, I got a lot more I want to share with you. With who? He's talking to the apostles. And he says, but you cannot bear them now. <clears throat> you can't take it. You can't handle it. What's their problem? Well, they need the Holy Spirit's help to really get what Christ is saying. To put it all together, they're going to need the Spirit's help. And so he says, however, when he, the Spirit of truth, there you go, Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you. Again, who's he talking to? I still have many things to say to you. You weren't there, were you? Were you in the audience that night? I don't think so. He's talking to the apostles. Uh, when he, the Spirit of truth, he will guide you, that's the apostles, that's whom he's talking to, into all the truth. Actually, the Greek has a definite article. Better translation would be into all the truth, a definite body of truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you apostles things to come. So he's going to give you the full, the full counsel of God, uh, the New Testament truth that is yet to be revealed would come through the apostles, and it would all come through the apostles. That's a really major thing. If you get that straight, that we as the church, in terms of New Testament truth, build on the apostles' doctrine. We don't go back to Joseph Smith. We don't go back to somebody else. We don't have somebody stand up and say, Hey, I've got some new truth. Uh, I've received a message from God. Are you listening? It's exciting. Yeah, we're going to stone you. Uh, except one problem. We're not in the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. But there's no new truth. We trace what we believe back. Jesus went on to say in John 17, 20, I do not pray for these alone. He's talking about the apostles. Uh, but also for those who will believe in me through their, the apostles' word. We trace what we believe back to the apostles. And if it's not according to the apostles' doctrine, it's false doctrine. Very simple. And yet in our day, the charismatics have had a heyday here. I've uh, got a word from the Lord. The Lord told me this. The Lord told me that. No, uh, we're not going there. So um, 
uh, one more reference in, in this light. Uh, in 1 John, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't believe everything. But test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Uh, test everything. It's all kinds of... And prophets, again, say, I have a new message from God. Prophets give new revelation. Uh, test, the, test the spirits. Many false prophets. Many people, and there's a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> they're not ashamed. I have a message from God. Uh, let me give you some new information. No. We are of God, he goes on to say. He who knows God hears us. That's the apostles. He who is not of God does not hear us. Doesn't line up with apostolic truth. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. How, how do we know? Well, if it's according to apostolic doctrine or not. That's how we know uh, what is uh, of the truth and what is of error. Okay, well, uh, the Spirit expressly says, in the latter times, again, we live in the latter times. It's getting later all the time. And uh, if you're looking for a clear sign, uh, and what I like to call a clear trend, because it's not, uh, you say, well, boy, there was, there was the great apostasy. Uh, no, it's a gradual trend. Uh, in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Uh, this is where we live in the church age. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the truth went out. Those first couple centuries, the, the gospel really went out far and wide in the Roman Empire. And then you had some major compromise under Constantine as the, the church became wed with the world. Seemed like a good idea at the time, right? We don't want this persecution anymore. Let's just get married to the state. Let's have the church and the state wed together and we'll all get along and live happily ever after. No, you won't. You're going to compromise things mega in the process, which is what happened. Began a major uh, turn uh, towards apostasy as you, as you proceed on from there in the 300s. So much so it evolved into the Dark Ages and uh, the Reformation brought about some level of, of revival. But uh, in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. This is, uh, this is the characteristic of the latter times. You know, these people always say, well, revival's coming. Well, where, where is it? Is there revival in the latter times? You see it somewhere? I'm interested in the verse. And now, there are pockets of revival, praise the Lord, and Christ is going to build his church. <clears throat> but that's not the overall tenor of the last days of the church age. It's apostasy. It's apostasy. Uh, the gospel's gone out far and wide. Many, 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 many people. Uh, Christianity is the largest religion in the world. Most of it's apostate. Uh, and that's where we are in the latter times. Uh, departure from the faith. And uh, as we think about this, um, like I said, where do you see revival? I do see revival in the last days. But I don't see any relationship to the church age. I see it in relationship to Israel. I believe that in the tribulation period, there's probably going to be more people saved, perhaps than have ever been saved in the history of the world up to that time. I think there's going to be huge amounts of people saved. Um, their number is innumerable, as we find in the book of, of Revelation, those saints that come out of the tribulation period. But they're going to, most of them, give their life for it. Uh, but we are kind of sowing the seed that will be used of the Lord in, in those days of the tribulation period. But uh, I don't see that in the church age. We need to realize that in the Bible, when it speaks of the last days, sometimes Israel is specifically in view, and sometimes the church is specifically in view. 
When the last days are referenced in relationship to Israel, it is essentially very closely tied to what we call the seven-year tribulation period. However, when the last days of the church are referenced, it's talking about the closing days of the church age that will come to a conclusion in the rapture. And so we're getting closer. We live in the last days, and we're getting closer. More and more we are in the last days until we get to the end of the church age. And again, notice some will depart from the faith. It doesn't say all. There is always a remnant. God always has a remnant. Praise the Lord. Uh, Some of you are here tonight, right? Maybe all of you. I'd like to think so, right? If you're not a part of the remnant, please say so. I'm just kidding. Uh, Some will depart. Uh, This is a threat that we need to be aware of. The Spirit has made us aware of this. We need to be aware of this. Uh, Some will depart from the faith. This is uh, the word apostasia, from which we get our word apostasy. Uh, It means to depart from. Uh, It's the idea of defection from the truth. These people knew the truth. Apostates know the truth. They've been made aware of the truth, but then they they depart from it. They never really entered in. They never really accepted it personally. They were never really born again. Apostates are not saved people, but they are pretend Christians who pretended for a while. They had a lot of knowledge, but then they depart. They defect from the faith. And then he says here, uh, oh, let's see here. I think I got a couple of things here. Uh, the faith refers to the essential doctrinal truths of the Christian faith that define the reality of true godliness of which Christ is the embodiment. And remember, godliness is a major theme here related to the faith. Uh, it is this faith which was once for all delivered to the saints through the apostles. It is the faith for which Jude 3 exhorts us to earnestly contend. Uh, you know, we need, to, we need to fight the good fight for the faith. I mean, we need to earnestly contend. I want to be a contender. I don't want to be a pretender. I don't want to be a contender. An earnestly contender uh, for the faith. Um, The uh, verb fall away or apostatize, this is Edmund Hebert, denotes not an unintentional fall, but a deliberate withdrawal from the faith once professed. Uh, That's the sense of it. This is very intentional. They didn't say, well, they accidentally slipped. No, no, they purposely. This is a willful rejection, a willful defection uh, from the faith. And uh, let's see here. Apostates are insiders. Uh, they have identified with the church. They claim to have believed. This is what makes them so dangerous. They're insiders. God's people are vulnerable to insiders who claim to be one of them. Uh, We get emotionally involved with these people. They have relationships with us. And that, by its very nature, binds people together. But in the case of apostates, with nefarious motives, it can be very damaging and dangerous. Tremendous amount of warning concerning apostates in the Scriptures. Uh, 2 Peter, Jude, uh, Paul warns about them in the book of Acts, Tremendous amount of of concern here over these who depart from the faith. And then he says, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Uh, This is what characterizes these apostates. Uh, They are not trafficking in the things of God. Warren Wiersbe says, these false teachers do not try to build up the church or relate people to the Lord Jesus Christ in a deeper way. Instead, they want to get disciples to follow them. Yeah, it's about them and their, their special teachings and join their groups and promote their programs. 
So this, this is their agenda. Uh, they've got a, a self-agenda. And so uh, we want to be very careful uh, of these kinds of, of people here. Uh, and notice they are submitting to demonic influence. I think uh, as you give yourself over to demonic uh, falsehoods, you grow in the things of the demons, just like you grow in the truth of God. These people have become very steeped in the things of, of the demons. And, uh, and they do so willingly. The demonic influence is there, and they assent to it. Notice giving heed to. I mean, they give heed to it. They submit to it. They assent to uh, the doctrines, these deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Uh, deceiving spirits. Let's talk about them for just a moment. Uh, here in Acts, uh, Paul says, I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. Is that a loving thing to say? I'm just wanting to know. Savage wolves. I mean, who calls people this? It's, it's a, it's, it sounds like a hater. I'm being facetious. Of course, if you're trying to spare the body... Uh, it's very loving for the body. Watch out, savage wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, he's talking to the elders at this point. Men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. <laughs> Imagine the elders looking around and saying, oh my goodness, uh, which one of us is a savage wolf here? Uh, pretty sobering. And then he says, therefore Watch. This is a high priority. Remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Wow. Uh, how long? Three years. Um, who's he talking to? He's talking to the elders at where? Ephesus. Who's Paul writing to here? Do I need to Timothy at Ephesus? Wow. Uh, no wonder. Strong warning. I have great concerns here. We're going to have some savages come in, and they're not going to spare the flock. Say, follow me. I've got my little teaching over here. Follow me and get in my off track here, even among your own selves. So, so there's tremendous danger there. Uh, deceiving spirits. Uh, <laughs> Satan's whole thing is about deception. That's his whole game. Uh, what characterizes apostates is that they do not continue on in the truth of Christ. Rather, they are characterized by giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. What they stand for is not the truth of God, I mean, which is what the church is to be all about, the pillar and, and ground of the truth. It's not the faith given through the apostles. Rather, they are given over to the doctrines of demons. Uh, they're off track. And so... Uh, this is a battle for the mind, a battle for the truth. And we have demons involved here. Uh, there is the, the teaching of demons. And how are the teachings of demons, the doctrines is the teachings, uh, the teachings of demons, how are they propagated? I mean, you don't say, well, what's that? False teachers. They work through false teachers, demonic activity behind them. A lot of these guys are very charismatic. I think the Antichrist can be a tremendously friendly, charismatic guy. I mean, just uh, very persuasive. Uh, that, you know, he, Satan's uh, messengers are turned into angels of light, uh, even as the devil is. So uh, God has his doctrines, but so do the demons. They have doctrines, 
They have teachings. And uh, they twist uh, the word of God. They sow seeds of doubt. You know, when the devil came to Eve in Genesis 3, what was the first line he said? Has God indeed said, let me drop a little doubt on that. Yeah, let's really try to nitpick uh, what God has said apart here. Let me sow some seeds of doubt here. That's where he started. Uh, that's how demons work. Uh, you know, the devil, he quoted scripture to Christ in his, tempting him. Three times Jesus refuted him and, and correctly quoted the scriptures saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. Uh, this is how you defeat the devil, the demons, through the truth. We have to know the truth and stand on it. Uh, but these will give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of, of demons. Well, what do uh, the doctrines of, of demons look like? Well, we get a little bit of a clue here. Uh, deceiving spirits is the idea of wandering spirits in the sense that they cause people to wander from the truth. So really deceiving is, is wandering. Uh, they mislead people and cause them to go astray from the truth. Apostates are not ultimately victims of sophisticated college professors or eloquent cultic spin masters. Rather, they are victims of demonic spirits who take advantage of them, who often work through professors and spin masters. I mean, that's, that's how they do their thing. But behind this, you know, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with the forces of darkness. But these forces of darkness are working through people. But the real source is, is the de demons themselves. Okay. Um, James talks about, but if you have bitter envy, self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. So, you know, James is comparing there's a wisdom from above and there's a wisdom from below, as it were. Well, this kind of, and it's not real wisdom, <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, you know, it's full of bitter envy. It's all about self, self-seeking. Uh, put self first. Think of yourself. This is wisdom that's uh, earthly, sensual, demonic. I think this is, this is the kind of teachings that, that the devil puts forward. They're full of self. Um, so many of the selfism and self-oriented teachings of the prosperity gospel movement are really the doctrines of demons. 2 Timothy 3, where Paul says, in the last days perilous times of apostasy will come, the very first thing he mentions is that people will be lovers of themselves. Uh, you know, I always thought this was so crazy how and through psychology, and, you know, this came in, you know, you, you need to first love yourself. It's the first thing. Before you can love anybody else, you need to love yourself. Versus the Bible really says, you already love yourself. Uh, it's not a problem. <laughs> Do we really need to stroke this? Uh, let's, let's build self up. Let's think about self above all else. Let's nurture this. People write books. Your best life now, and it's all about you. I mean, it's all self. Everything really flows out of that. Everything flows out of self-seeking, self-loving motivation. Uh, you know, the Bible says, die to self. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow Christ. It's a whole different message. The doctrines of demons, last days, they're, they're very much uh, into self, self-oriented. Uh, Bill Hansberger, I've known Bill for many years. He, he's worked as far as reaching out evangelistically to uh, occult groups, cult groups, occult groups. I mean, he's, he's had kind of a ministry in this regard. But he says, what's next, Christian astrology, Christian yoga, 
Christian tarot cards, Christian mantras. Oh, I'm sorry. Christians have already done these things for years. Everything I used to see at the psychic fairs is now available in Christian bookstores, seminaries, and churches. Yeah, a lot, a lot of doctrines of demons out here. I mean, you could spend the rest of the evening talking about uh, those things. Um, let's see here. I like this from uh, David Gazik. Demons are theology majors and have systems of doctrine. Yeah, they do. But they're just like the devil who's quoting scripture to the Lord. They twist it. They tweak it, which changes everything. You've got to rightly divide the word of truth, accurately divide the word of truth. Uh, the demons are masters at, at twisting it just a little bit. Has God indeed said, let's have a little different spin on that. I think it's okay to have women pastors, you know. Why wouldn't it be? I mean, <laughs> on and on. All kinds of things we could talk about. Um, I like this from Tozer too. If you can say it. Uh, the devil is a better theologian than any of us and is a devil still. Uh, yeah, I think he knows the Bible pretty well. Probably better than we do. I mean, I think he has a superior intellect uh, to any of us. Uh, so uh, we are very reliant on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the great equalizer here. In fact, puts us ahead of the, ahead of the game. Yeah. I have a yep. Well, I think it plays in pretty well. Uh, you know, how far are you going to go with that? Because clearly uh, they're teaching another gospel, a false gospel. And so, in fact, some of the things we're going to go on to talk about here, uh, for, forbidding to marry, uh, forbidding to eat certain foods. I mean, that's, that's right out of the Catholic playbook. So, you know, we have to agree on the gospel. So, um, you know, what was the Reformation all about? What, what are we protesting? A lot of them are not protesting too much anymore. So, you know, believers can get off track too. Uh, they can be deceived as well. Uh, you know, so they might in themselves be holding to it, but they're going along with something that's not right. Uh, you got you got a muddle of things in the mix there. But I do think the devil's at work in a big way there. You can't compromise the gospel. I mean, that's the whole deal. Galatians 1, 8, 9. So... Yep. Yeah, I think that's why we have so many warnings. I think I think you could potentially be a true believer and be off track in some of this stuff and be influencing people in a in a terrible way. Even though you yourself may be saved, you 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 know the truth. Peter got off track, you know, where Paul had to confront him to the face. It was really a gospel issue there. So, um, but Peter, I think, knew the truth himself. He was just sliding along with some things. Shouldn't have been. So uh, that's why I say you kind of have a muddle. You know, I'm not going to put everybody and say, well, hey, everybody <laughs> that's with the evangelicals and Catholics together is going to hell. I, w I wouldn't go that far. But I do think you've got some serious, serious issues and some demonic influence in the mix there, uh, which is why we are warned. Don't, don't get off track in terms of the truth terms of the true gospel. The influence is strong there. And especially, I think you get close to people. They always want to say, let's talk. Let's find common ground. Uh, 
you know, there's not a lot of common ground with the devil. Uh, light is light and darkness is dark. Uh, so anyway, a lot of deception out here. That's a good question. All right, uh, let's have somebody read verses uh, 2 and 3. Who wants to read 2 and 3 here? Yes, Jeff. Okay, so uh, speaking lies in hypocrisy. Um, the devil is a liar. He's the father of it. And uh, these people here who are uh, really propagating the doctrines of demons, uh, they're hypocritical liars. Uh, now, a hypocrite, you know, that would tend to indicate that they, they really kind of know what they're doing, at least at some point. Uh, they're also deceived. But speaking lies and hypocrisy implies that down deep they, they know better. I mean, they're playing the part of the hypocrite. And yet they uh, play the part of the hypocrite. Hypocrite means actor or one who wears a mask. These people are pretenders. Uh, they try to hide their true identity as a phony Christian. And maybe even try to deceive themselves on some level. Self-deception is a, is a horrible thing. But uh, no, they are speaking lies. Just flat out lies. You know what a lie is? It's something that doesn't line up with God's truth. They're propagating lies. It, it doesn't line up with the scripture, but, but they're, they're still uh, speaking it. They're, they're propagating it. And notice they have their uh, conscience seared with a hot iron. I think this is progressive. You know, how long does it take to form a callus? You get a callus in one day? Probably not. It, it, you develop a callus over time. I think you do develop a, a seared conscience over time. You know, your conscience is an inward monitor that God has given you that approves what's right and disapproves what's wrong. But if you throw away the Word of God and you're not listening to the Word of God anymore, you start getting harder and harder and harder, and you can come to the point where you have a, a seared conscience, uh, which is uh, the idea of uh, so callous it's no longer sensitive no longer functioning properly. Um, the idea of seared is literally cauterized. It's the idea, and you can see where you get that from the Greek word there. It's the idea of calloused or hardened conscience that is no longer sensitive to sin. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, people get to where they are past feeling. That's calloused. In terms of their conscience, uh, LaHaye says, they are void of a conscience that responds to God's word. You know, people get so hard, there's, there's no... There's no talking to them. There's no re they're, they're not sensitive uh, anymore. That's a bad, bad place to be. Uh, MacArthur says, uh, to sit under false teaching that contradicts the truth of Scripture is to be taught by demons. <clears throat> you agree with that? Yeah, to sit under false teaching that contradicts the truth of Scripture is to be taught by demons. Yeah. Demonic uh, doctrines. To put one's mind and soul in jeopardy. It's no wonder then that the Bible cautions against exposing oneself to false doctrine. It's a, it's a very serious matter. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I want to go back to the most basic things of uh, godliness, uh, of, of the truth of the gospel. Uh, no two men of God are even agree on every little detail. So that would be an overstatement. Um. Well, if 
I don't know that it is, because if indeed we're talking about contradicts the truth of Scripture, uh, who's behind that? Well, I would say insofar as it's, it's an error, it has demonic influence behind it. Doesn't matter who it is. If I'm teaching something that's an error, uh, it's not of God. If it doesn't line up with the truth of Scripture. So I think the issue is we want to make correction there. <laughs> you know, we want to be online. I'm sure, Vince, that when I get to heaven, I'm going to be amazed at how many things I didn't have quite right. I'm sure that's true of all yeah, you know, we have, we have pri- what we call primi- primary doctrinal issues and then secondary issues. Yeah, I would still think it's true, though, because if it's not accurate, if it's not truth, well, what's the source of it? Sure, sure. Well, I get what you're saying. Uh, you know, we, we want to kind of look at the totality of a man's ministry and not zero in on one little bitty thing here that might be a secondary issue. Uh, so so I, I get that. Uh, so, but I do think if, if you're contradicting the Scripture, which is the issue here, which is what he said there, if it contradicts the truth of Scripture, whoops, uh, there, where am I going? Let's go this way. Yeah, if it contradicts the truth of Scripture, uh, you know, what's behind that? I think his point is, if it contradicts the truth of Scripture, uh, it's demonic. It, it's in violation of the Scripture. So um, whether the man means to do it or not, I still think the demon's got a foothold there. Yes? Well, that's. We're all, we're all being influenced by demons all the time. All the time. And nobody is perfect yet until we get to glory. Uh, the issue is if something doesn't line up with Scripture, what's the ultimate source of it? Yeah, that's, that's the issue. Well, in terms of accountability, yeah. Right. Oh. Well, I think you're, you're right in the sense that these people, when it talks about speaking lies and hypocrisy, I mean, they are intentionally twisting the truth here. Yeah, my only thing is, if something really contradicts Scripture... What's the source of it? Well, what's behind the flesh? Yeah. 
yeah, I, I'm just not sure where I, if I can slice that and dice that to the nth degree as far as what's Satan behind and what's he not. Because he's a lot of time behind my flesh, too. So that's all I'm saying is I think uh, ultimately at the source you have truth with God and you have lies with Satan and now the flesh gets in there but I think pretty close to the pretty close to the rub here you have demonic involvement where there's where there's false doctrine being taught um, and it's sad to say that even a believer could you know be off track at a certain point. Uh, when Peter was off track in terms of the gospel, was there demonic influence there? Or was it just the flesh? Well, you know, in Galatians chapter 2, when, when Peter would no longer eat with the, uh, you know, he's separating from the Jews to eat with the Gentiles, and, and it's a gospel issue, and Paul confronts him to his face. Well, that's what I'm saying. It gets pretty complicated as far as saying, well, just this is a category of the flesh in Peter. Or was there demonic influence there too? Well, I don't know, but I would not say, uh, you know, Peter was not a, a demonically inspired teacher. No, I wouldn't say that. But I do think in that situation, there was an influence there. Right. Exactly. Sure. Well, yeah, we want to be humble <laughs> because maybe he's right and we're wrong. <laughs> yeah. The whole issue, and, and I don't want to get to pointing fingers like that because uh, I'm not the judge here ultimately, especially on these secondary matters. I, I, there's primary matters as far as the gospel of Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ is. Uh, those things we, we have to be in agreement on to have fellowship. But then there's a whole host of these secondary things uh, where we're all growing in knowledge and, and grace. And so, yeah. But if it doesn't line up with Scripture, what's the source behind it? Well, one of the things we see here, clearly there's demonic uh, activity in terms of false teaching. So... Okay, uh, let's uh, go on here. Um, forbidding to marry. Forbidding to marry. There's two types of apostates. Uh, there's licentious apostates and there's legalistic apostates. Really, self is at the bottom of it all. Um, I'm going to have to fly here, which I've been known to do. Uh, the reason legalism is so serious is because it undermines the whole system of grace. It puts stock in what you are doing to merit righteousness. Here Paul mentions two things, namely forbidding to marry, abstaining from foods. This is legalistic asceticism. This has its roots in Phariseeism. It's quite quickly got a foothold in the church. Asceticism contradicts godliness on the basis of grace. So, um, yeah, the issue becomes uh, godliness according to grace. Uh, th that's a major, major issue here. Um, <laughs> Homer can't... Judaizers, Gnostics, Catholics, Fridays, Lent, Seventh-day Adventists, all types of ascetics have promoted this error, right? Forbidding to marry. You know, I should be married to the church, right? I should have never married Janie. If I was really wanting to be spiritual, false doctrine. Uh, forbidding to marry. Uh, I guess I got one more here. 
thinking that you are more spiritual if you don't marry, such as Roman Catholicism teaches regarding their priests, nuns is frankly a uh, doctrine of demons. Uh, we saw in chapter 3 that an overseer is to be the husband of one wife. To forbid, uh, to marry is flat contradictory to the word. Marriage is honorable among all, everybody, and be- the bed undefiled. Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Okay. Um, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving to those who believe and know the truth. So God created these things. He created marriage. He created foods. And uh, they are to be received with thanksgiving. If we know the truth, we believe and know the truth, uh, we are uh, free to eat, uh, receive with thanksgiving. We ought to be thankful. You know, sometimes uh, people forget to pray, right? (laughs) And he goes on to say, Every creature of God is good, verse 4, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Every created thing, here is the idea, it's good. Um, We are to enjoy it. It's it's good. Nothing is to be refused. What about rattlesnake? It's okay. If you want to eat it, do so with thanksgiving. You can eat whatever you want. If it is received with thanksgiving. Notice uh, twice he mentions thanksgiving here. Uh, Received with thanksgiving, verse 3. If it is received with thanksgiving, verse 4. And then he says, For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Set apart. Uh, Now, false teachers, they're not going according to the Word, but we are, and we know that according to the Word. Now, we're living in the New Testament days. We're not under the Old Testament law. We're not under the Mosaic law. We have freedom to eat whatever we want, sanctified by the Word of God and prayer, which is really an act of worship. Okay, very good. Any other thoughts? I kind of ran through this last part here, but I'm at the end of my time. Any other thoughts? All right, let's share some prayer items here.